from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Welcome here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. Hanging out here with you on Thursday, Thursday, February 7th. Hope you're all having a great day. We are going to be at the Home Team Pub tonight, and you're going to come out and see us because your home team are the Syracuse Orange, and we'll be talking with Alan Griffin, former Syracuse player and current Syracuse assistant coach. So right in between the Florida State game and coming up with this Boston College game, I will be on site, on location, at Home Team Pub, hanging out with... Alan Griffin, and you'll have the opportunity to speak with him, get his thoughts on the Syracuse Orange. Where is the team at? What's going on? What does he think about some of the players' production, the chemistry, the culture? All of that is coming up on today's show, and you will have the opportunity to hang out with Alan Griffin, shake his hand, get an autograph, take a picture. That Alan Griffin hour is going to be at the Home Team Pub, 7990 Oswego Road in Liverpool from 7 to 8 p.m. today, Thursday, February 7th. So with that being said, we're starting off today's show as we always do on a Thursday with Papa Joe. We'll be hanging out with Papa Jay here and getting some of his thoughts on the Super Bowl, on Todd Gurley, on the Jaguars, Nick Foles, and this, that, and the other this morning. We'll be doing that here in just a moment. And then after Papa Joe, in the second part of the first hour, we'll be spending time going over Syracuse's Signing Day Part 2 crew, which includes Gary Johnson, the running back, defensive end and defensive tackle Jason Munoz from down in Florida, Stephen Linton, defensive end, and quarterback David Summers will give you some thoughts on the four additions to the signees that sign in the early signing period. We'll get into that a little bit here. And, of course, we will, in the second hour, have Mike Sofka of Hall of Fame FantasyFootball.com. Join us for the Fantasy Football Power Hour, proudly presented by the Wildcat Sports Pub and the Penn and Trophy Center. We'll speak on the fantasy implications of the Jaguars, Nick Foles, Tom Brady, Sony Michelle, Todd Gurley, Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, and more. That's right, folks. We're already getting you ready for 2019-2020 fantasy football because fantasy never stops. And reality is always affecting the fantasy football side of things. So we'll get into that in hour number two. And with that being said, Papa Jay is here on the show with us. So let's bring him in. Papa Joe, how are we doing today? Good morning, Daniel. Everything's fine. How is the weather in beautiful, sunny Florida? No, it's beautiful. 71 degrees, clear skies. Beautiful, beautiful weather. Beautiful weather. I wish you were here. I'm going to get on a plane right now. I'm leaving. I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm doing it. I got to check the schedule. I'm, that's fine. I can, I, I can get down there and be back by the show tonight. I'm going to make it happen. You can do that, yep. So we're here with Papa Joe. We're always talking about college football as well as the professional ranks. Uh, Papa Joe, National Signing Day used to be the first Wednesday in February. Now it is right before it's, – it's right around Christmas time in December – we have the early signing period at the end of December on a Wednesday, and then we have the regular signing period still on the first Wednesday in February. What do you like, dislike about the fact that there's two signing days? 
Well, I think for once, I think the NCAA did something right. I think the early the early signing day is a boon for a, a lot of the schools to to try to prepare for spring, and it gives the student athletes a little up because they can actually enroll early. So, if they sign in December, they can enroll in January, and half the school year will be over by the time the summer the, the summer comes, and you know they can partake and in uh, spring football practice and so on. So I think it's a brilliant move. I, there's not much I really don't like about it. Uh, I think the kids that are laggard, maybe perhaps that have to wait till the February signing day, perhaps maybe don't aren't scholastically endowed like some of the, uh, the ones that have already signed and uh, entered uh, the kids being enrolled in school early and going through spring football. I think it's a boon. You know, we look at it though, you know, that, that's uh, you know, when you, when you can sign early in December, you know, some sign early in December and don't come out to the team in January. Some do in the early signing period. Syracuse, you, you know, was getting a, you know, two here or three there over the last couple of years. This time around with the early signing period, they got a bunch. You know, how important is that to you? And, and what do you think about the fact of these guys getting in early and getting into spring ball? Just, you know, what that does, because it's one thing to sign early. It's another thing to come in early and now with this early signing period as I was saying we're seeing more players uh, definitely at Syracuse seeing more players come in in January instead of coming in at the end of June just what you like about that I do like it uh, again like that guy said earlier it gives the kids a chance to enroll early I know when I look at uh, of course I follow University of Florida uh, recruiting very closely and most of the kids that are signed in December are enrolled in school in January some of them maybe not. Maybe they haven't qualified altogether. But uh, I, th- I think it's I think it's a good move by the NCAA to allow this to happen, uh, and it gets it gets the programs a little bit of a jump start. For instance, if you if you get a bunch of freshmen coming in coming in in the summer and they're not eligible to to practice until the fall, you know the kids that are also freshmen that are that have been uh, enrolled since January have gone through spring practice and they have a legs up. So. I wouldn't be surprised if you see a lot of freshmen, uh, more so than last, a lot of freshmen start and play a lot because of that. And we look at, you know, some of the, we look at the, you know, the race in Florida when it comes to signing day and the Gators were able to get a defensive end who flipped from Alabama in his ceremony at Cardinal Gibbons, uh, Chris Bogle, he is and he's coming to the Gators instead of Alabama. Miami was in the mix for that as well. They're talking about the fact that as of 8:30, Florida State had only announced one recruit. Uh, you know, and, and so you know we're looking at kind of everything that's come up here, and you know some of the moves that have been made. What do you think about the fact that you stole one from Alabama and moved into the top ten in recruiting? No. Urban Meyer used to say it. He said, "If they're not signed, they're all fair game." And that's that's the way these these recruiters do that. They keep they working away and working away and working away. All of a sudden, a kid gets up one day. So you know what? These guys are right. I'm going to flip. And that's what they did. I mean, Georgia stole a couple. Uh, Florida stole two. So uh, it's it's just the way it is. Uh, you know, these are kids, 17, 18 year old kids, and sometimes they they waffle a little bit in their commitments, but. For the most part, they've been talked into coming to a school uh, to go to school, graduate, hopefully graduate, and, and play ball. So most of them, you know, they have the idea that I'm going to go to a school or I'm going to go to the SEC because they 
prepare most of the players to go to the NFL. The first 10 teams on the, the, the rankings are all uh, five of the first 10 teams are from the SEC. And they load them up. I think we had something like, I think Florida had something like 25, uh, oh yeah, I think 25 signees, something like that, and four stars, three stars, whatever, you know. But it's, it's, it's great to follow. I love following it. I think it's fun. You know, and we and, and obviously seeing this and, and seeing these changes. I mean, the excitement of it all. I mean, I, I guess I guess you know when it comes to this decision making, you know, if you're if you obviously if you're not the team that gets chosen, there is the nerves of it all. If 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 you're somebody that someone flips on, you know, there's kind of the pain of that and the sadness of that. But on the other side of it. You know, if you're on the good side of it, it, it makes for some good kind of primetime television in the morning, and that's something that Chris Bogle put forward here. So, you know, just to speak on that, you know, because there are two sides of this coin. There's the, oh, we're getting this guy, and we love the fact that we're getting this guy, and this is going to be great. And, you know, and then the notion of, well, we didn't get this guy. We thought we were going to get him, but now this other team got him. You know, there, there's there's definitely some primetime feel to it but there's a positive and negative side of these kids that that go until the last second essentially sure uh you know these kids are they may be young but they're not dummies believe me if you're a defensive back and you're a five-star or a four-star and you're trying to you're being recruited by all these schools believe me these kids know how many defensive backs are on the team how many defensive backs have already been signed how many have already enrolled and if you if you want to get involved in that, you know all of a sudden maybe you're five or six deep on the depth chart, and you don't want to be there. So whether Florida or Alabama uh, recruits you, if you don't want to, if you can't see early playing time or at least be competitive, you're not going to go there. You're going to go to a school that maybe uh, is not quite so heavy. Uh, Florida drafted uh, eight absolutely super kids to play linebacker and defensive back, and. They're all good. They're all four stars. They can run anything. They can do anything. And, you know, just like Alabama, when you lose so many kids, all they do is just reload, rearm, go out and get the kids. That's why you see a lot of freshmen playing. I would be surprised that in Florida State you see some some freshmen playing next year. You know, they go through spring practice. They're already enrolled in January, and they they play in spring practice. Well, come come, uh, September – you know, to me, they're not freshmen anymore. They've already gone through half a campaign working their behinds off uh, in camps. So it's, it's, I love to see it. I love to talk about it. And it's, it's fun to see these kids weasel and, and cajole themselves around. They do just as job of selling themselves as the recruiters are doing selling them. Speaking here with Papa Joe. Syracuse uh, did a pretty decent job. Uh, as I look at my list here, I think I have them on... I think they're number fifty-two, which is which is good. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and I see they have 20, 20 commits and twenty-three stars. And I've talked about this with you before with Coach uh, Dino Babers. He gets the most out of two and three star kids than anyone I can recall uh, in the, in the college game. If he's got twenty-three stars lined up ready to go, heck, this. You know, it's not a difference between a three-star and a four-star, not that damn much. You know, a three-star and a five-star are a different deal, but he's got 23 stars. He's ready to go. He should have, he should be proud of what he did. Yeah, you know, and we're looking at a uh, situation, uh, 21 total players, five from Florida, 
three from North Carolina, two from Canada, two from Connecticut, two from New Jersey, two from Pennsylvania, uh, one from D.C., one from Georgia, one from New York, one from South Carolina, and one from Texas. Uh, one that that a lot of people were circling, and we'll talk about him in just a little bit, is Garrett Garrison Johnson, Gary Johnson from Texas, who was coming from Manville, and he had a connection to to one of the members of the Syracuse staff that was added. But yeah, I mean, Syracuse had a bunch of them already say yes. They had 17 sign in the early signing period, and so they wrapped up four. They still have a few scholarships to give, and they've been kind of hush-hush about that. So they do have some opportunities, maybe if somebody wants to transfer, maybe if there's you know something in that respect. But what they have right now is you know 21 guys who have signed on the dotted line and said yes. And Florida, once again, for the Syracuse Orange, you know, this is multiple years now, Florida once again leads with how many players have been taken from each state or region. Uh, Florida is number one with five once again. And Adrian Cole from Plantation, uh, Ishmael Goulborn from Palm Beach Gardens, uh, Mikel Jones from Miami, Jason Munoz from Hollywood, who was committed to the Hurricanes, and Cornelius Nunn from Miami. So, you know, Syracuse is reaching down to your neck of the woods, Papa Jay. That's good. I like to see that. I like to see the diversity. Uh, again, these kids aren't stupid. They know. Yeah. They got a chance to co- to play for Coach Babers, and maybe there's a good defensive back that came out of Dwyer or down in Miami Dade or something like that. And, you know, they're, they're a three star and, uh, Coach Babers only has a couple on his team, and he's not. He's only recruited a couple. So this kid thinks, well, you know, instead of me waiting around to sign for Florida, Florida State, Miami, or such and such, I got a chance to go to Syracuse and maybe play early. Plus, I get to play against some of the best teams in the country in the ACC. So it, it's it's wonderful to see. I'm glad to see Syracuse reaching out. I'm glad to see them go across the country to pull in some players. And this kid from Texas is a real good one. Yeah, they're going out there and, and grabbing these guys and getting some opportunities and, you know, obviously trying to build up their team. And I had a conversation, you know, in the press conference for National Signing Day, Dino Babers, I got to ask him a few questions. Those questions are going to air on tomorrow's show, February 8th, in the segment Significant Soundbites, where we speak on the early signing period changes in recruiting. We also talk about the future of the backfield in Syracuse because it used to be RBU, so getting back to running the ball. And we also uh, have a conversation on finding good character guys and not just guys that have good stats and look good on film, but guys that have good character and will come into the community and do good things. Papa Joe, you and I have spoken about that before. And and as I said, you know, Babers, you'll hear what he had to say to me about it on tomorrow's show. But what do you think about, you know, that side of it? You know, everybody wants to know how fast do they run? How high do they jump? How many touchdowns do they have? How many sacks did they get? But the reality of it all is you want guys that you could put in your community, or well, at least I do, want guys you could put in your community where you feel safe and you feel good and, and you know that these are people you don't have to worry about when you go to sleep at night and you're not going to get phone calls about them and stuff that they've done and have to go to court with them and whatnot. Florida State has had to do it the last few seasons. What are your thoughts on finding the right character guys on and off the field and not just simply finding a five-star guy who can throw the ball a little bit? Well, I think the coaches and the recruiters, uh, they, they do their homework. You know, they'll, they'll check in into the kids. And uh, it's important to get high-character guys, obviously, but it's, it's also more important to get a, a, a good student athlete. Uh, I like to, can't stress that enough. Uh, you know, states like Florida and, and Texas, they have so many 
athletes, good athletes, three, four, five stars, loaded, both states. Uh, Texas, really, Texas A&M, Texas Houston, Texas Tech, they don't have to really recruit outside of Texas to load their, their teams up, and so too with Florida. Florida has the peripheral states of Alabama and Georgia. You know, you don't have to go too far to get good kids. There's so many of them that they can be more selective and uh, be sure that the kids are high character. <clears throat> and when you do that, you know, when you look for these kids, because, I mean, obviously there's issues. And I, I've spoken with Syracuse fans about this before. And, you know, I had one Syracuse fan tell me, you know, I'll take a five-star guy and all their problems and all their issues and all their off-the-field antics just to say we have a five-star guy. And I said, you know, you're going to rethink that because do you really want to deal with it? I mean – you look at DeAndre Francois and what's gone on. You look at, you know, the team having to deal with Jameis Winston. I mean, this is just Florida State having to go through this stuff, you know. So some people just want a five-star athlete. But in the case of Florida State, you know, it really, unfortunately, I think it comes off on Willie Taggart. I think it makes Willie look bad. But in all honesty, I think what Willie's trying to do is I think he's trying to clean up the locker room. And I think people aren't going to like some of the decisions he makes and some of the things that he does. But in all honesty, Papa Joe, I think he's trying to clean up the team. And in order to clean up the team, I think he's going to make some decisions that some people aren't going to like. I think you're correct in that. I read a lot about Coach Taggart down here. Uh, he, uh, I think he wound up with a number 15 class this year. Uh, lost out on a really, really good five-star quarterback. Uh, lost it to Maryland. He doesn't have any quarterbacks left. He's got one quarterback on his on his roster, so he's really hurting right now. But you know, it's up to it's up. You know, these Florida State fans and alumni and boosters, they got to give this guy a chance to work. You know, last year was an absolute abomination for him. He he, he couldn't do anything right. He he his, his, he just lost the team, uh, and that's not Coach Taggart. He's a really upfront. He's a loquacious guy. He likes to talk. He's and he's just a, a, a pleasure, pleasant to be around. But he, for last year, it just didn't work. Now he's got a retool. He's trying to maybe dump some of the kids that have been hangers on from other coaches and from Jimbo, your, your man Jimbo, you know. Jimbo Jimbo recruited the edge, so I'm not sure Coach Taggart's going to recruit the edge kids. So we'll see, though. Yeah, you know, we're looking at some of the guys here, uh, Jaleel. McRae that's that's their outside linebacker that's enrolled at Florida State. Akeem Dent was on my radar uh, as well. You know, we're looking at some of the guys, but yeah, I mean, when you when you look at the quarterback side of things, you know, there it's and and first of all, it's not a huge class for Florida State for the 2019 football commits, but you know, when you look at the quarterback side of things for Florida State, you know, it really it really is kind of up in the air, and you know, this is an interesting place. For them to be in now again I've been around Willie for a while and you know I covered him for multiple years at South Florida and now you know covering him here with Florida State and I just you know I think that when it comes down to it you know he'll figure it out but he's a time guy he needs time you know there's very very few coaches that can walk in and just make everything wonderful you know that he obviously needs some time to get this done now James Blackman is there and Bailey Hockman is there as well as a redshirt freshman, and I would venture to say that Bailey's probably going to get some time out there because unless James Blackman has changed the now, James Blackman is you know registered as only a sophomore, you know, but he he hasn't done a lot for this team on the running back side of things. You got 
you got Cam Akers and, you know, Jacquez Patrick that were there and whatnot. I mean, your, your hopes is that they can figure this thing out and that they can move forward with this because Akers is a talent. Patrick was the number one running back in the country, you know, according to some when he came out of Timber Creek in Orlando. And, you know, we're just not seeing the return on some of these guys. So, you know, you, you got to hope that things are going to, you know, kind of mature on this team and, and, and show up on this team as they move forward. But again, Willie Taggart is a guy who needs time to build a program and I know Florida State, you know, wants to win championships and they want to battle against Clemson and whatnot. But the reality of it all is, you know, how many teams, Papa Joe, in re- in reality, you know, I know that every fan wants to win, but how many teams can sit here and say that they go from one coach to the next and they win 10, 11, 12 games, they go to the national championship? That doesn't happen. Nick Saban didn't walk into Alabama and win championships. You know, Dabo Sweeney didn't walk into Clemson and win championships. That's not how it happens. But, you know, the expectations in Tallahassee are, are mighty high. And I uh, I don't envy Willie Taggart's situation. No, it, it, they're unreasonable up there. And, but, you know, they're used to uh, they're used to top-shelf stuff. Uh, Coach Bowden, for years, uh, they had championship teams, at least top ten teams. Uh, Jimbo Fisher did the same thing. He won a championship also. Uh, the, you know... Give, give them time is what I expressed earlier, uh, but the, the fans up there and alumni may not may not have that. This next year coming up for him, uh, they're going to get squashed again. Uh, Clemson's going to run all over him again, uh, and NC State. I like Syracuse against him this year again, so his troubles are not over with by any long shot stretch of the imagination next year. he's He'll be lucky if he's 500 next year too, but if he wants to put something in place, they got to give him time. Absolutely. Speaking here with Papa Joe inside of Papa Joe's picks. Papa Jay, let's talk about, you know, some of your thoughts and your picks. I have a path to success for the Jaguars in the offseason. I'm going to tell you what it is and then get your thoughts on it. I think, and I know that there's a lot of talk going on, and we'll discuss what you're hearing down in, in Duval County in just a moment. But what I would like to see the Jaguars do, and I said this on Monday's show in a very special episode of On the Prowl inside a wake up call. First move to make, go get Nick Foles, right? Trade for Nick Foles, bring in Nick Foles. The second thing you do is to take your seventh overall pick in the first round, trade down. When you trade down in the first round, keep a first round pick, grab another second round pick. Depending on what you have to give to the Eagles, hopefully you don't have to give any draft picks, but you pick up Nick Foles, you trade down in the first round, you grab another second round pick, so you got a couple in the second, couple in the third, you still got a first rounder, you got your quarterback, and then when you're in the draft, you assess wide receiver and inside linebacker, maybe a corner, maybe you assess a corner with everything going on with Jalen Ramsey, but that is my path to success. Get Nick Foles, don't rely on the draft for a quarterback, then go after your wide receiver and your middle linebacker. What are your thoughts on that? That's a good plan. Uh, I've been in Nick Foles' corner for a long time, and uh, certainly he deserves uh, to go to a team and start. Uh, I realized that the last couple of days he was in the news a lot because he, um, I think he bought himself out of his contract for $2 million. Now the Eagles may tag him, franchise tag him, uh, in hopes of trading them. So that that's their own move right there. But I don't know how much you get for someone like Nichols. I, I read yesterday that there's a third-round pick or a fifth-round pick or a seventh-round pick. I'm not sure any of that equates to 
the value of him. Uh, so instead of releasing him, they do have to get something for him. Uh, Nick Foles certainly would make make the Jaguars better, uh, certainly. Uh, with uh, the wide receivers coming back, hopefully Mar- Marquise Lee will be ready to go. And with D.D. Westbrook and the boys, they're going to be – he's going to be have some guys to throw to. Uh, Fournette, if he ever grows up, maybe he'd be a good running back. And uh, goofball in the backfield there, Ramsey, I'm not sure what they're going to do with him. But I haven't read too much down here uh, about Ramsey or Fournette at all. Things have been really quiet. Coughlin hasn't said anything, haven't heard anything about anything. So I don't know what their plans are. Certainly, you know, we all we know it's unfortunate for you and I because we were – in Blake Bortles' corner the whole time, I still think he's a decent quarterback. Although I, uh, it's quite obvious now that he's he's not a top flight quarterback. Uh, he made me think he perhaps maybe he was bigger, bigger and better than he was. Uh, that's my bad right there. But I still think he can be a quarterback in the league, perhaps a a, a, a second stringer somewhere. But he's going to come with a big price tag. I don't know if they can work any deals with the, the salary cap, but. Uh, if they release him, he's, they're not going to get anything from him. And if they try, they try to trade him, they're not going to get anything, maybe a fifth or sixth round for him. So, you know, Nick Foles coming in is, is the start, that's for sure. Uh, or someone uh, that equates, equates to his talent, i.e. Uh, Joe Flacco is another one. Uh, these guys these guys come with hefty pay tags. Now, these guys are 18 to $20 million a year guys. So uh, Coughlin's got to be real, real careful of what he's doing here. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing is, you know, in order to figure out kind of what you need to do in the grand scheme of things here and how you have to handle this because you gave a bunch of money to Blake Bortles, you gave him an extension, you gave him three years instead of one, and now you're in a situation where, you know, he's going to cost your team money no matter what you do, and you have to figure out how you're going to do it. Like you said, we we have both been in the corner of, of you know, Blake Bortles, you and I, supported him all the way through, you know, for four straight years. I saw something in him that I leaned on here. And then in this past season, you know, I started to kind of just, you know, make the statement of, you know, maybe it's not there. Maybe it's just not going to happen because, you know, more and more it wasn't working out. Now, I will make mention that seven, count them, seven offensive linemen were out for the season for this team. So that does no help for him. Uh, Josh Wells, Jeremy Parnell, Josh Walker, Andrew Norwell, Brandon Linder, Will Richardson, Cam Robinson. Five of those guys were starters. Uh, four of them were, were definite starters. Josh Wells filled in as a starter, but you lose your starting left tackle, your starting center, your starting left guard, your starting right tackle. The only guy you have left is your right guard, AJ Can, who played some games not 100%. So the reality of it all is th- there was a very unique loss to almost every offensive lineman. Leonard Fournette wasn't healthy. Corey Grant wasn't a help. TJ Yeldon played injured at times. There's no wide receivers that can get the job done. So, And they lost both of their tight ends, and they released Niles Paul. They had Niles. They brought him in last season. He got hurt. They released him. So, you know, they're in a situation right now where they're coming off of a very, 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 uh, you know, kind of out of your control season when it comes to injuries, and now you have to figure out what you could do. But after they assess the uh, or, uh, assess the situation at quarterback, hopefully with Nick Foles, you have to imagine that they have to go to the draft and look for a middle line. Now, I like Miles Jack. I know that he can play inside outside, but he was brought in and played on the outside. Telvin Smith played on the outside, 
And when they played on the outside, this team did a lot of great things. This defense went very far. So in my opinion, I would like a true middle linebacker that they can draft, and I want a wide receiver. What do you think about What do they assess first? Would you rather see them draft a wide receiver first or a middle linebacker? How do you look at it? Well, I think neither of those uh, should be their importance. I think uh, I think they really need to rebuild the structure of their lines. Uh, defense on the defense side of the ball, they're in pretty good shape, other than a middle linebacker, as you said. I think they need to strengthen their their offensive line. And I know in the, in, in football and and pro sports in general, it, one guy one guy goes down, and it's they say the next man up. So I think. Kaufman needs to have more guys on his team where if he's if he has to say next man up, the man is competitive and can keep going. Uh, I don't care how good Nick Foles is or how good or bad Bortles was. If he doesn't have those three seconds or three and a half seconds to throw the ball and he's on his behind, they're not going to score any points. They're not going to drive the ball. They're not going to uh, use any clock off the field. We saw that uh, with Brady. Uh, if you don't get to these guys... They're going to they're going to complete some passes and no and holes will do that. But I think they I think they need to to, to stay interior with the structures. Uh, they can always get a, a wide receiver down the road, fifth or sixth round, or some kid out there that's uh, it's a just waiting to be discovered. Uh, and that's what the that's what the the draft personnel is supposed to do. They're supposed to scour the country. They don't necessarily have to go to the big schools. Go to the small schools and find these guys. Uh, there'll be a middle linebacker out there somewhere. And then there'll be a there'll be a, a slew of guys that can play offensive line, interchangeable parts. Yeah, there's a lot out there, and there's a, you know there's a, a lot of pieces here. But I agree with you. I think that they need to have depth on their offensive line because they you know were exposed to have none of it outside of Josh Wells playing left tackle where he did some good things. I mean, there was really nobody else that helped out this team. You know, in, in the sense of I mean, Tyler Shatley did an okay job, but he stayed healthy. But you know, ultimately, there's not a lot of depth. As soon as they got hurt, it was easy to see that there wasn't a lot of depth in their offensive line. And you build in the trenches, they had seven, eight guys on their defensive line. They need to have a bunch of guys on their offensive line, and they can't sit here and say that they had three behind the starting five, four behind the starting five that could, you know, go wherever they needed to go and do what they needed to do. So that's where we stand with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Really quick here, Papa Jay, before we let you hop out of here, um, what are your thoughts on the New England Patriots? I mean, this is not a typical way of the Patriots winning a game. This is a very unique way of the Patriots getting it done. And when they win this game, they win it 13-3. to They do it with their offensive and defensive line. Their offensive line is not spoken about that much. Their defensive line isn't spoken about that much. Tom Brady's old. They can't get it done. There's all these conversations about this, that, and the other. But the reality of it all is the Patriots are hoisting their sixth trophy in nine tries over the last 18 years, which means they've gone to the Super Bowl 50% of the time in the last 18 years, and of the 50% of the time they've gone, they've won 67% of the Super Bowls they've played in. Those numbers, utterly impossible to most people, but not to the Patriots. Uh, well, you saw the genius of Belichick. Uh, if you give this guy uh, a chance, you give this guy two weeks to plan for you, he's going to find a way to beat you. Uh, you and I discussed on several occasions about who wins the line of scrimmage, and frankly, the first five minutes of the game, you can tell who's going to win the line of scrimmage. And that's what the Patriots did. 
Now, Brady, being as good as he is and supposed to be the greatest of all time, which I think he is, he's going to sit back there for two and a half, three, three and a half seconds. He's going to find someone. He wasn't, he was touched once. I mean, come on. I mean, yeah. But that's, that's, that's Belichick. I mean, it's, it's all Belichick. Certainly Brady, uh, uh, extends the plays and, and makes the right calls and makes the right adjustments to line of scrimmage, knows what to do. He's a coach on the field. But when Belichick plans and has a chance to plan, you're going to get beat. And we, we saw that. And I, I don't, I don't, didn't talk to a lot of people that felt Los Angeles was going to win the game. Uh, granted, Los Angeles had better players, uh, faster players, smarter players, allegedly smarter players, uh, but they were outcoached, and, and McVay realized that. I think it was – I got so annoyed with that game, I actually turned it off. That's how annoyed I was when it was 3 to nothing at halftime. I just – I was so mad. So, But anyway, I turned it back on and got, got to see some plays. And uh, But it's it's typical Belichick. I mean, that, that's what he does. Uh uh, people hate the, the Patriots. They hate Brady. They hate Belichick. But you got to respect him and you got to admire him. Yeah, and that's the thing is, and I've been talking about that all week is whether you like him or not, you got to respect him for what they've been able to put forward and, and what they've been able to, you know, and what they've been able to do. You know, they've had a lot of success and a tremendous amount of success. And whether you like him or not, you know, even if even when you beat them, you almost beat them. You know, Philly just beat them. The Giants had to, David Tyree, who came from Syracuse for the love of God, had to hold a football on the back of his helmet to beat them. So, you know, it, it's just, it's not an easy thing to do. They are a legacy team. They're a dynasty. You know, there's something special about what they have going on there. But let me ask you two questions uh, in in you know because we'll have a lot to say and kind of open the door to a lot of stuff so we'll have you back as we always do Papa Jay but the two questions that I put up that are going to end at the end of this week and I want to know your thoughts on it uh, after the game almost immediately after the game they were talking about Julian Edelman whether or not he's a Hall of Famer do you think that Julian Edelman's a Hall of Famer let me preface by saying he is one of four players ever in the history of the Super Bowl to get the MVP without scoring a touchdown. He is one of seven wide receivers to ever be Super Bowl MVP. Julian Edelman, though, is he a Hall of Famer or is he just a good system wide receiver? Well, he's he's marginal Hall of Famer, I think. Uh, he's in his early 30s, and he doesn't have too much longer to go. But being able to play with Brady for so long and being on the receiving end of, of his passes, you know, he and Brady have, have come up together and – Brady trusts him. Now, the good thing about Edelman is he's a he was a quarterback in college. Uh, Edelman lining up in the slot, he never he he very rarely would be effective out on out on the wings. He had to be in the slot, and for him to zigzag around, being a quarterback, he knew where Brady wanted to throw the ball, when or if he got there. For him to break from the slot and go left, right, or whatever. If he, if he finds a space, if he finds a gap, that's where he's going to go. Maybe that's not the way the play was intended to run, but he's going to go to a spot. Brady will find him and hit him. It, they do this in three seconds. I mean, three and a half seconds. Come on. I mean, they're, they're a wonderful tandem together. Sort of reminds me of uh, Jerry Rice and Joe Montana, uh, but Rice spread the field a lot more. Edelman's a gutsy guy. He's not a very big guy. He's solid, that's for sure. Not very, very fast. But for some reason, he catches the ball and outruns linebackers and jukes the defensive back. So 
uh, he's a marginal Hall of Famer, uh, but he's a sensational player, and I love watching him. That coming from Papa Joe. Papa Joe, really quick here, the uh, the other side of this, Tom Brady. What are your thoughts on him? Is he the greatest quarterback of all time that ever played in the NFL? You know, I, I, I can – well, I'm not going to load the question. I'm going to ask you that. I'll give my thoughts after. But is he the greatest quarterback the NFL has ever seen? I think so. Uh, and I go back to the days to Bart Starr and Terry Bradshaw and Joe Montana and some of these guys that have come up uh, that have won multiple championships. Um, uh, he is. And the reason I say that is because the game has changed so much from the way from when those guys were playing, the ones I just mentioned. The men that are playing the game are bigger and faster and stronger. They react quicker. And as a quarterback, you've got to be that much quicker uh, mentally. Uh, Brady can tear down any defense and find out where he needs to go to move the ball. You know, Brady doesn't need to throw for 5,000 yards and 50 touchdowns every year. All he simply has to do is score touchdowns, move the ball, keep the defense off the field, move the chains, he does that better than anyone I've ever seen. And to me, he is unquestionably the best I've ever seen. And, you know, I mean, I, I have, I, I think he's the greatest system quarterback of all time. I don't think he's the greatest quarterback of all time, but I do think he's the greatest system quarterback of all time. I don't know what he would be without Bill Belichick, but not that he wouldn't be talented. I just don't think that he would have what he has right now. I think ultimately, it starts with Bill Belichick when it comes to this Patriots team because he can win with Jimmy Garoppolo, he can win with Jacoby Brissett, Matt Castle, Tom Brady, Drew Bledsoe. It doesn't matter. So you know, and all I, I think he's really, really good, and his staff is really, really good at just finding the right talent for their system, finding the right guys, and just putting everything together. It's like Nick Saban. You know, everybody wants to you know win a championship. But he has to pick apart and piece together the right people to do what he needs them to do, and he's just extremely intelligent at it. And so is Bill Belichick, and that's why people hate him, and that's why people love him. But you can't really beat him most of the time. With that being said, Papa Jay, thank you for being a part of the show as always. We will have you back very, very soon here because there's a lot coming up here in the off season. Even though football is officially off the field, it never stops. And you being in Florida, you know this. Seven on seven is probably going on right now while we're talking. So, oh yeah, love it, love it, love it, love it. So as always, I appreciate it, and I look forward to talking with you soon. Okay, bye bye. Take care. That coming from Papa Joe once again. Papa Joe here with us this morning speaking on the football side of things in the world of sports, speaking on National Signing Day, the early signing period, the regular signing period that happened this week yesterday on February 6th, as well as the NFL and what's going on and the Jacksonville Jaguars and the issues that they have. And Tom Brady, he thinks Tom Brady is the GOAT. I don't think he's the GOAT. I think he's the greatest system quarterback of all time. I don't think he's the greatest quarterback of all time in the NFL, but I think he's the greatest system quarterback of all time. We can have this conversation till the cows come home. That's the beauty of it. We will continue to have this conversation over the weeks and months and years of Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, and I appreciate Papa Joe for being a part of it.